0: Hey, everybody. Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. And thank you to Seminole Boosters for their support of this program. And more than that, their support of Florida State student-athletes. If you're listening to this show and you're not a booster, what are you doing? Support the program and the student-athletes you care about. All the information you need is online at boosters.fsu.edu. Your gift makes an impact. It supports scholarships and sports medicine, strength and conditioning, nutrition, equipment. Buy tickets. Show the student-athletes you care. All the info you need, boosters.fsu.edu. And all the info you need this week,
1: well, here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way.
0: Good day, everybody. I mean, a really good day because it's a game week. Tom Block, Keith Jones on front row. Knowles, KJ, we're a couple days away. You, the heart holding up okay? You gonna It's make doing it? good. It
2: just feels right. It just feels right. Now, I'll be honest with you, Tommy. I, I really like, you know, a good home game in late October or early November when it's not so hot. But having been without football as we do every summer, Uh, Having heard some positive reports from the coaches and the players and uh, from folks that have seen practice, this is a really, really good time in Tallahassee and come five o'clock on Saturday, uh, 5.03, I think technically is when kickoff is scheduled. Um, It's going to get really
0: good. Mike Norvell and the coordinators met the media on Monday and the first depth chart of the season came out. And we learned that uh, Maurice Smith is is ding. So we'll start with the, I guess, the biggest news, which would be that Darius Washington, who was not in the mix at center necessarily this year, although he played there last year, uh, is going to get the start at center. Uh, unfortunate that FSU finally built some depth, and then you have two two players on the OL go down at the same position. But but thoughts about Darius in getting that opportunity, and just the OL as a whole.
2: Well first of all Darius has gotten experience it hasn't
0: been necessarily at the center position and the
2: other thing that that my first was worried about is you know traditionally your center makes all of your calls your pre-snap calls uh prior to uh, everybody getting settled and uh, coach Atkins was talking about with all the experience they've got up there it 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 won't be uncommon if one of the guards or one of the tackles actually takes over making some calls at particular times to help him out. So the the pre-snap downside of a center without a lot of experience at center may be mitigated a little bit. Uh, Of course, everything after the snap is also pretty important uh, as we go forward. So it'll be interesting to see how they do.
0: The other, uh, you know, looking at the depth chart, the other, News really isn't as newsworthy. I think it was about what we expected. You know, there's a few ores in there, but so it, like at the receiver position, so Micah Pittman's one starter, and then you have Ontario Wilson or Deuce Span, Malik McLean or Johnny Wilson. So, is that managing some egos of returning players, or is that truly saying that 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 those players are equal? I don't know. Either way, and we'll talk about this with Kurt Weiler I'm excited to see a new look receiving core this year for FSU. Somebody
2: was asking me uh, a week or two ago, will we ever see Florida State with a 1,000-yard rusher? And under the Mike Norvell scheme of things, you might not. You might have three or four running backs at 600 or 800 yards. Well, the same thing applies to receivers. You know, it's probably going to be a stretch for any receiver on a Norvell offense to catch, you know, 45 or 50 balls. So things that we may have been used to in the past relative to, you know, the number one receiver, um, that just doesn't necessarily equate to how this offense likes to operate. So the oars or the first or the second or the third really doesn't matter because instead of having somebody with 70 catches and three people with 20 catches, you may have four players between 40 and 50 catches each. So which one is the number one? It doesn't matter. They are all going to get playing time. They're all going to get um, attempts and and they're all going to get opportunity to get their hands on the ball.
0: Keith, as we wrap up the first segment, we'll be joined by Stephen Ponder from Seminole boosters in our next segment. You can articulate this as well as anybody given your days as a safety for FSU. You know, I think the, the feeling on the tight end position is it's not that strong a group overall and Cam McDonald missed a lot of time, but, Think about Johnny Wilson and what he could bring if the other teams fear him or other receivers to the point that they're rolling the safety his direction and the seams that opens up for the tight ends.
2: Well, the, the thing about the Norvell offense is, yes, you would like to attack it with the tight ends, but they can also attack it out of the running back position, how the backfield. So maybe your tight end group doesn't have size, strength, and speed that you like. But the versatility of this offense is you can take one of your running backs, and and use them in a similar means, so that if they are rotating to what they the defense perceives as a strength, you can counter that with some other kids. And this running back corp uh, is pretty good at catching the ball out of the backfield.
0: Yeah, it's it's a pretty good group overall. That's you know kind of a thumbnail on the offense. Uh, defensively, we'll get into this with Kurt Weiler. will be our other guest later on. We'll we'll go ahead to. Head to toe, A to Z. Uh, Maybe we won't get to special teams. We'll save that for you and I in our last segment, Keith. But uh, uh, Kurt will have some good insight. He's now with the Osceola, has covered Florida State for years. And I first met him when he was working at V89 back in the day, my alma mater, uh, Keith. Uh, I don't think I'll – well, we'll see if I bring that up with him. Anyway, uh, good show ahead. We'll get to it right after this.
1: Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith.
0: Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones, really pleased to be joined by the president and CEO of Seminole Booster, Stephen Ponder, and had a chance to meet Stephen over the the last uh, year or so, but I don't think you've been on this show Uh, in your new role or in any role for that matter. So welcome officially as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline and say hello to Stephen Ponder. How are you? I appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. I'm glad to be with you all. It is my first time, but hopefully
3: we can uh, make it a more common occurrence.
0: Yeah, we'd love to have you and uh, certainly not a slow time. I'm not really sure where the slow time. It's it's sort of like when football coaches go on vacation. I'm not sure what week of year that is. It's about the same for seminal boosters, but uh right now just as as a starting point the excitement level that goes through you and your organization when we're a couple of days away from opening day what's that like
3: yeah i mean i think there's just a lot of activity you know we started working on if you will getting the stadium ready because if you phrase it this way florida state athletics Seminole boosters we're hosting uh, a a ton of house guests this weekend and we want to have the best uh best appearance that we can. So cleaning the stadium and there's some improvements uh, that have been out there about putting up our championships on the fascia and um, Bobby Bowden's name up on the press box and uh, just all kinds of things that, that we're trying to do to make the game day experience better. Uh, we're always trying to make it better uh, for fans and more points of sale, you know, uh, just easier way in any way, shape or form to for concessions, to attend the game, to enter the game, to park, all those things are stuff that we look at, and our staff uh, across athletics in Seminole Boosters and others in the university work, work very hard uh, together to try to make the best experience possible for everybody coming to the game. We're focused on
2: football because we're going to play a game, but all yeah. of the other fall sports and, of course, all the sports in general, they benefit from the annual fund. They benefit from the work of Seminole Boosters. Uh, we focus on football because it's timely, but there's a lot else going on behind the scenes, correct?
3: Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I've told this story several times, but I had um, the, the mother of one of our beach volleyball players. I saw her in Dallas and you know, she did not know. So she just asked me one day, she said, oh, you're with Seminole Boosters. You, you're with that football fund. Uh, back to your point, you know, Keith. And I, I just said, well, tell me more. Why do you think that? And she said, well, I just I see it and I see football tickets being advertised. And I said, well, that is true. We one of the ways people can join is by buying football tickets. But, you know, uh, 40% of our donations come from people who do not buy tickets at all. Now, we want people to buy tickets, but we also want them to join the annual fund. And so um, once I talked to her about that, she's like, well, I didn't know. I mean, that's great. And I said, look, we fund all athletic scholarships, not just football. So she joined. And then she also joined uh, coaches' Club for Beach Volleyball to give directly to Beach Volleyball. And so under the umbrella of um, Seminole Boosters, Uh, We have a lot of things that people can get involved in where they want to go. Um, And whether that's to support, uh, you know, women's basketball coaches club, attend a game, um, attend a golf tournament. Um, They can give an endowment, a scholarship gift, annual fund level. There are so many things that people can do. And that's for us. It's just we want people to go where they want to go. And our staff, when we talk to people, uh, we just ask them, what are you interested in? Uh, Because whatever people get involved in, you know, the theory kind of is all boats rise. It helps everybody. And so, you know, our role, we generate revenue um, through donations and we transfer that to the athletics department for their operations. So we have a direct impact on the competitiveness and success for Florida State athletics. And so I think our role is very vital. Uh, The donors that are involved, uh, we want them to have fun. You know, the other night we had a networking event here at the stadium and you know, we want to do more things like that where boosters are meeting boosters and realizing, hey, look, we got a lot in common. I just met you. Why don't we go grab lunch one day and let's just talk because we love talking about Florida State, but we also have some other things in common. And the stronger that bond is among boosters, the stronger we're going to be because then they're going to know two other people that aren't involved and then it just kind of multiplies and that's that's what we're trying to do if you will face to face and um peer to peer as best we can. So back to your point. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I mean, the other night, uh soccer, women's soccer opened up um on the road with two games. I mean, he's playing a heck of a schedule. Uh I mean, goodness gracious. Let's say hey, welcome to Florida State. Now go play this schedule. But he got his first win, Coach Pinsky did the other night with women's soccer, which was great. Um and um I mean I just I there's a lot of excitement. And I've said this before. Florida State is one of the places in the United States in college athletics that can win a national championship in every sport. We've done it in many of them already. We've been close in others, and we're going to continue to knock that door down and try for every sport to compete at that elite level. And Seminole Booster is really the backbone behind all that.
0: We're talking with Stephen Ponder, who's the president and CEO of Seminole Boosters. The soccer team, by the way, has its home opener on Thursday night this week. Of course, the football team season and home opener coming up on Saturday at 5 o'clock. Back to the annual fund, where are you relative to to goal, both in terms of donors and dollars this year, Stephen? So our
3: our goal uh, this year, well, we're right at uh, almost 12,000 in the number of annual fund donors. I think we had 11,700 today. And our annual fund number, we crossed 16.5 million, which was our goal. And so, um, you know, we're, we're getting close to number of donors, um, but we're always going more. You'll see later in the year, we'll start talking more about this, but a three-year plan for us to get to a 20,000 level, uh, over a couple of years is, as you think about it on a natural attrition rate, you're going to lose a certain number of people every year for a myriad of reasons, but then you got to replace them and then keep growing. And so, Uh, But the annual fund for us is our number one priority. Um, It's the backbone of what we do. And every dollar counts. Um, Quite frankly, the way we have some people who they'll say, well, I don't need to give $140 that doesn't do anything, but it does. $140 matters, but their presence matters. Just being a booster, regardless of the amount more than they realize, you know, because there is just strength in numbers and, um, we, we just appreciate everybody's support. So I know a lot of times from a fundraising perspective, I hear it all the time when people introduce themselves to me, they'll say, well, I'm not a big donor. And I'm like, hey, can you not do that? Because everybody that's a <laughs> donor, it matters, right? And so it's important to us that everyone that's a Seminole Booster member, they, hey, stick out your chest, You're you're a donor, right? And a booster. Speaking of big, a big project will get underway. I'm assuming at the
2: end of the football season, the football ops building. Uh, right. Are we are we finalized? Are we ready? Is it going to is it going to happen?
3: Well, you know, yes, it's going to happen. But you know, we're always tweaking something. But yes, so we've hired the architect. Uh, we have also started the pre construction uh, with the construction company that's going to be building it, and that's been awarded. So we are um, working on all of that now. Um, And with our hopes being in December at the end of the football season, that we put a shovel in the ground and start construction on the project. But it's a, it's a vital step. You know, when you look at the Moore center, it's a phenomenal facility, but when it was built, the football staff was a certain size. And now the football staff's probably doubled since then. Uh, And they're actually working out of the suites in the Northeast uh, part of the stadium. They work in those suites during the week. And then when the game comes, we clear out the, the office and, you know, then boosters are in there for the game um but we've outgrown the facility from a competitive standpoint and from an ability to train and educate and develop our kids and so that's why it's so vital that we have this football facility that the other impact is with the Moore Center it's going to impact all of our other sports programs uh, as well because they're going to get already new and improved weight room and some other facilities uh, that will help them as well so it's a comprehensive move across the board even though it's just Again, a new facility for football, but it's going to be new for everyone, uh, how it impacts them.
0: I know that the Sod Cemetery, it, we only bury Sod that we take from visiting stadiums, but maybe since the season ends with Florida on that Friday after Thanksgiving this year, whenever that groundbreaking is, you can use the same shovel. We'll just bury a little piece of dope there to commemorate a win over Florida, <laughs> and then you can also break ground on the football-only facility. i tell you <laughs> what, marketing genius right there. I love it. It's a great <laughs> idea.
3: We'll have to mention that one. I, I think I think that's
0: a great idea, you know. Uh, hey, I, I don't know what you can or can't say about this. The the three letters that are out there right now for the last year that have changed the college athletics landscape. But those letters are NIL. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll stop there and let you let you weigh in where you're able to. Because right now, Florida State Law, I know the universities have to be at arm's length.
3: Yeah. And, you know, the state law just basically says that we can't arrange uh, we're not um, arranging uh, payments and that type of thing. And I would relate that back to the scholarship program. You know, Seminole Boosters raises money, as I mentioned, for scholarships, but we don't hand a scholarship check as Seminole Boosters to a student athlete. There's a process for that to go through. Coaches award the scholarship. You know, the kids sign for it and there's a process. And it's much the same way with uh, NIL. Um You know, and we've got uh, there were a couple of uh, groups out there that were working on um, NIL space for Florida State. Rising Spear is the one that's most widely known that we talk to the most. Um, But, you know, we try to help them as best we can through the law. We'll walk up to the line, don't want to cross the line. uh, And then we'll see what happens in the future as it relates to the legislation, because I think that back to the overarching point, when NIL started, it was really about marketing opportunities for student athletes. And it's evolved into a much more than that with collectives and, you know, arranging, um, you know, well-documented across different teams of what a certain player is going to get to play somewhere. And I don't think that was ever the intent, but it's the space we're in now. And so whether it's federal legislation or NCAA or some other governing body that kind of regulates that, we are where we are with NIL, and we're going to be competitive in that space uh, in our current setup with Rising Spear or uh, whatever that looks like in the future as it evolves through legislation. But, you know, it's important. And, um, you know, I would say that at Coach Norvell, it is important, but he has said publicly that he wants kids that want to be at Florida State, that want to grow and develop, uh, that aren't just looking at what do I get. Because that can be short lived. And I think that there's um, there's something to be said for that, because um, I think you'll watch some teams this year. There's a different dynamic for coaches today with NIL than there used to exist because they're having to manage locker rooms in a different way. Um, And so I don't I don't know that we've seen the end of this. I think it's just starting and there's going to be some iterations of it coming over the next couple of years. And on top of that,
2: Stephen, and we don't have time to get into it, but just uh, acknowledgement of conference realignment, what the CFP might look like as we go forward. I know in some respects that's athletic department things and not seminal booster things, but everything's related. Um, Talk about how you're perceiving that and, and maybe some of the things that the boosters are doing to prepare for option A, option B, option C, or someone we don't even know
3: about. I I would say that, that, you know, like you said, I mean, the athletic department of the university, that's where from an alignment standpoint, and it's been well documented. We talk about my relationship with Michael Alford. You know, I've known Michael for a long time. We've never worked together, but um, but from Dr. McCullough, from our chair of the board of trustees, Peter Collins, to Michael, from myself, our board. I think we're all in alignment that Seminole Boosters role is pretty uh, specific in what we are asked to do. And I think regardless of conference expansion or not, and you can't ignore that it's out there, right? I mean, there's talk about it. I read something today about some schools that were pitching their wares to one conference or the other. All that's going to go on behind the scenes. What we're focused on here is having Florida State be in the best position possible to compete today, but be uh, uh, attractive for um you know, development within our own conference or whatever the landscape looks like in the future that we can't control. So the ACC has been a great home for us. Uh, and, you know, we won national championships in this league uh, in multiple sports. And so, again, we don't know what the future holds. We just want to be the best version of Florida State no matter what happens in the future. And that's really,
0: that's what we can control. And that's kind of what we're focused on. Stephen Ponder from Seminole Boosters. Thanks for joining us. We'll do this more frequently. Enjoy the uh, the start of the football season. Uh hopefully we get things well. I know we're gonna get things out to a great start on uh Saturday at Doe Campbell Stadium. Absolutely. And I will tell you that although this will be my second season here,
3: uh I've watched Florida State from afar, but I get goosebumps just thinking about literally Renegade and Osceola planting the spear uh at the game at pregame. Uh it really is one of the best things in college football. And so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that and then just seeing this year's uh, version of the Seminole football
0: team, come out and see what happens. So we're excited for it and look forward to seeing everybody on Saturday. Sounds good. Thanks for for taking some time. We'll take a break and come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this.
1: Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios.
0: Let's turn our attention to Saturday at Doe Campbell Stadium. We'll get our first look at this Florida State football team. We'll reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, and sharing your future together. And uh, we say hello to the newest member of the Osceola team. He's our Osceola insider this week, uh, senior writer Kurt Weiler. You know him from covering Florida State for the last several years with the Tallahassee Democrat. Kurt, uh, how are you, first of all?
4: I'm doing well. It's game week. It's The grind of preseason is real for us, too. It's not quite the same as it is for the team, but being out there every day and getting to watch almost every practice is a lot, so it's exciting to be here at game week. All right, so were
2: you able to exceed your highest speed and practice 12 or 15 as opposed to the first practice?
4: I think I peaked at like practice 10, I'll be honest. Like It was kind of like downhill down towards the end. It wasn't my best effort.
0: (laughs) Well, let's start from a broad point of view then. Last year to this year, even two years. I mean, you've been covering Florida State for a few years. So before we even get into specifics, general thoughts as best you can compare, can compare what's in your mind right now, but what you've seen compared to previous years.
4: I mean, we could start just with looking at the team physically. And I think they are, I mean, they are not yet, I would say, by any means, looking like one of the best teams physically in the, in the country. They're not on the, the Georgia level, the, the Bama level, whatever have you. But there's no doubt they're starting to look like a Florida State team. Mike Nervell given a lot of credit to FSU's director of strength and conditioning, Josh Storms. And I think rightfully so, because you've seen that work. I mean, they were hurt early on by kind of how much of that first offseason they had to do remotely. That was really a a big factor beyond just what they lost in other ways, having to do things remotely. But you're really starting to see, I mean, the offensive linemen looking like offensive linemen. And and it it looks like Florida State's going to really match up well physically with a lot of teams on the schedule where that maybe hasn't even always been the case lately just because of that. This team has definitely grown a good bit since the spring. I had some real questions about a few units I'm sure we'll get into from wide receiver to offensive line, and both of those have really, I would say, exceeded my expectations this preseason and really made me question what I think this team can accomplish.
2: It appears, you can corroborate or tell me I'm wrong, but it appears that the intensity and the actual work effort is somewhat if not vastly different this fall than last fall.
4: I would definitely agree with that assessment. I think if you talk to guys from kind of the peak run of Florida State football, they'll they'll talk about how Saturdays are easier when your week of practice leading up is harder and I've definitely I think the the competition has come a long way and with that the the intensity with it. I mean you are seeing a lot more back and forth with the wide receivers and DBs when that was maybe more of a one-sided battle last year in one-on-ones. Ditto, I would say, the offensive line and defensive line. And I definitely, yes, I would completely agree with that assessment.
0: We're going to talk about the wide receivers and the offensive line, and they'll factor into your answer to this question. But what have you seen from Jordan Travis?
4: have seen uh, a quarterback who I think is poised to – want to prove he belongs I mean talk to him in the offseason about I mean obviously it's going to be a probably a great year for quarterbacks in the ACC and I think Jordan is hungry to to show he does belongs in that conversation I mean the athleticism is still there and it speaks for itself but I've really been impressed with Jordan I think it's helped the the better talent the talent that's grown kind of around him like you talked about with the the wide receivers and the offensive line but I've seen a guy who's much more comfortable in the pocket I think Some of what what went into Jordan using his legs as much as he did and knowing how much of an asset that was, was early in his career, you really saw a guy who at the first sign of pressure was more likely to bail out of the pocket. I've seen a lot more this year, him be willing to stand in there. I mean, he's not getting hit in practice, but stand in there under pressure and under real pressure and kind of stay and wait for his moment to deliver the strike. And I've seen you really the growth as a pocket passer. I think he's also talked pretty candidly about like now – entering year three in Mike Durville's playbook, kind of having the the full grasp of that and feeling confident in whatever in that playbook is getting thrown at him and not having certain things they may kind of have to run for him, but whatever Mike Durville wants to run, he's good with.
2: A criticism of him and maybe the criticism of him was the durability question. Talk about what he's done and what quote unquote they've done to address that.
4: Well, yeah, he, he, he definitely made an effort to put on some weight, and I don't know exactly offhand what he's at, but I know he was up, I think, 10 or 15 pounds from last year. I think even more talking to him from kind of the peak of last year and just the, the number he got down to at one point, a good bit below 200. Um, yeah, I think that's shown. I mean, he made it through this preseason where I think really didn't miss a day, and that hasn't always been been the case for him in the preseason. I would understand if if some fans kind of want to – see that for themselves over the course of a season. Obviously, the season's a little different when you start playing teams that are going to going to hit you as opposed to kind of what he's had this preseason, but yeah, he uh, I think you're seeing a guy who understands how important he is to this team and has taken those strides to get himself right and to kind of make the right decisions in games to stay out there at all costs because yeah, I mean, it's the the drop off to him and whoever's next is significant.
0: It won't appear that you're abandoning the pocket early if the pocket actually exists for a little bit longer because of the offensive line and, and, and the throwing windows are open because receivers have some separation. So I, I guess I'll ask it this way. Which, which group exceeded your expectations more? And then tell me why. Was it the OL or the wide receiver core?
4: If you're talking this preseason, it's been the wide receiver core. I mean, the offensive line is definitely – I had higher hopes for the offensive line. They've obviously dealt with a few things where they've lost the 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 top two centers. And Darius Washington's filled in there pretty nicely. And I know Maurice Smith, I, don't, I think there's a thought that won't be an especially long-term thing. There's maybe even hope, it sounds like, as soon as for the LSU game. We'll have to see on that. But I think it's the wide receivers because, I mean, in the spring, you saw Micah Pittman, I would say, was probably the most consistent guy. But Deuce Span looked like he was going to need some time. Johnny Wilson had some real high ups and some real low low downs. That he had some days where he just couldn't catch anything, and those two in particular have really raised what they've brought this uh, this preseason. I mean, Deuce is a guy who, with his speed, kind of does something out no one else in that group does, and has caught the ball at a much higher level and seems to have enough of the rest of the offense. I mean, he was listed as a a co starter, which if, if you'd told me that coming into the preseason, I would have been pretty surprised to see it just because nothing we saw in the spring would have indicated that. Uh, Johnny Wilson is a guy, I mean, today I wrote about him a lot today in the practice court. I feel like I do that a lot. He just makes play after play after play. He is definitely a guy who's emerged as uh, a favorite tra- target of Jordan's this preseason, and he targets him quite frequently. It's easy too with that uh, six, seven frame and the athleticism he has to go with it. And he's, uh, he's really impressed me. And I think some other guys have kind of, raised their game to to match them guys like Malik McLean, guys like Kentron Trompettier I think they realize with how they replenish that room this offseason like hey I've got to show I still belong in the field or I could very well lose my spot and be passed over and I think you've seen those guys rise to the challenge I I'm not by any means going to say I think the strength of the team will still be elsewhere but I think the the wide receiver room will definitely from all I've seen exceed what I thought of them coming into the preseason
2: one of those segments, at least on the OL, uh, excuse me, the offensive line of the side uh, side of the ball rather, is the running backs. They they have exceeded what I thought they were capable of doing. Maybe my estimation was too low.
4: Uh, I, I don't. It, it's preseason, I mean, it, it's a group that uh, for losing a guy who who left early, a few years early to go to the NFL and Sean Corbin, there hasn't really been, by my estimation, a a, a step back. I mean, obviously, bring back Jayshon Ward, who was the solid number two last year, and. You you bring back Lawrence Toffoli, who I think, you know, kind of wasn't able to build on his promising freshman season after he dealt with some injuries last year. But he's healthy now. And I know Mike Morelli the other day called him, I think, their most improved player. I think he said that he's he's been incredibly impressed, impressed with uh, Lawrence and then Trey, Trey Benson's been maybe the story of the preseason. I mean, he's a guy who I know the fan base was kind of questioning the take when it happened because he was coming off a fairly severe knee injury uh, two Decembers ago. And from the spring game, you kind of saw like, "Oh no, like he when healthy, this guy can be that guy, and he he's carried that over. I mean, I think you have a a a real three headed monster there, and like you said, I mean, there have been the problems on the offensive line there have been the problems at wide receiver the run game has has done well the last two years, despite that. I'm interested to see if there is more of a threat in the passing game, what that can kind of do even more for the run game that i mean it should I in theory open things up even more
0: one of the things to me it's it sounds easy to say harder to do but you know I want to see this offense actually stay ahead of the chain so that the full playbook is open down to down but then in the third and a yard and a half or the third and goal can they line up and run the football or do we still have to do smoke and mirrors not that that's not bad Uh, I mean it it works it, it but 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 when you need the tough yard can this team get it has the offensive line progressed to that point
4: it's funny you say, they were talking about, they were working on kind of third and short stuff and some some goal line stuff at, at today's practice. Um, maybe not to the level that would appease some fans, but I definitely think it's something that, that will be better, that they'll just be able to. I mean, when you look at that line, even when you don't have Caden Lyles and, and Maury Smith at the moment, I mean, when you look at, I mean... Robert Scott, Dylan Gibbons, Darius Washington, either Demetri Emmanuel or Justin Turntine, and then Bless Harris, who's really surprised me this preseason at at right tackle. I, I didn't know what to think of him, and he's definitely exceeded my my expectations there. I think this is a group that that can against a good number of teams on the schedule doesn't need to resort to the smoke and mirrors, as you said, and I think can power through and and get thrive in those short yardage situations i mean it's a it's a testament to mike nervell's play calling and offense and all that what they've done in the red zone was it 32 scores in a row dating back to last year despite kind of the problems around florida state and i do think that they're in a better position in that regard now
2: kurt i'm i'm cautiously optimistic about every segment on the defensive side and maybe overly optimistic with the defensive line
4: yeah, I mean that tackle group is gonna be gonna be a bear. I think I was looking at the uh, the Duquesne depth chart today and saw that their center I think it was listed at two seventy five, and I was like, oh, that's that's gonna be a, a problem. As is often the case when FCS teams play FBS teams, but yeah, that tackle group I mean has really impressed me. I think you've seen and Adam Fuller I know talked about uh, Monday about just how he's seen Fabian and Lovett and Robert Cooper really come back, not just like oh, I want another year, but I'm going to make the most of this year. Where can I improve my draft stock? Where can I really build up? And you've seen, especially Fabian, I think has had a really impactful preseason and a guy like Josh Farmer looks ready to play. I mean, he's really been pushing for playing time and it's not easy to come by in that room right now. I think the ends, when you look at that end group, it really feels like to me, it is probably, I don't even think it's probably, I think it is the biggest question mark on the defense. I think you feel good about really everywhere else. And if that group is as good as we think they can be. I mean, this defense could be, I, I agree with you. I am cautiously quite optimistic. Uh, we've seen, I mean, Dennis Briggs is definitely, I mean, fully back from injury. He, he it's amazing that Dennis Briggs can be at his size, play inside or outside and be such a versatile weapon for them. I think he can kind of do what Keir Thomas did for them last year in a lot of ways. And he's lined up at his spot. And I, I mean, I've really been impressed with Derek McClendon who, who talked a big talk in the spring about thinking he's one of the best defensive ends in the country and Jared Verse obviously, is the guy I think some people have kind of put unfair expectations on him and having to follow Jermaine Johnson's footsteps. But I've really been impressed with Jared, and he's a, and a lot of fun to watch and is going to make some pretty impressive plays uh, this season. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, it definitely, I think, starts with with that line, especially on the interior.
2: I don't know if Verse will have the numbers that uh, he had, but he can stand toe-to-toe with him and look pretty. They both are remarkable
0: athletes. From from just That's, a physical standpoint.
4: That is definitely true.
0: You said that end was your biggest question mark on the defense. Not that you put it as a question mark, but if you're going to pick one area, I don't think I phrased that very well. Um, that means the opposite corner or the corner opposite of Mario and Cooper, you feel pretty good about where they've landed there. I know they brought in a lot of bodies and, and had plenty of returners too.
4: Pretty good about it. I mean, it's funny early in camp with the strong start that uh, Azaria Thomas had as a true freshman, we were kind of like, oh, is he, is he about to take uh Renardo Green's spot? It kind of felt like that, that could, could be the case and that Renardo Green could just get kind of his spot taken by a really promising true freshman. And I think Azaria is still going to play a lot. I think Sam McCall is still going to play a lot, but I've been impressed with uh, how Renardo is, uh, has really responded and had a really good, I think, finish to camp at that, at that opposite that opposite spot. I mean, he's a guy like a few other guys in this defense in the secondary, who have kind of moved back and forth roles, couldn't find a home for a while, battled some injuries. And I think he's finally had a healthy off season. And I think that's really helped him in a big way. And just the stability of being at corner has helped him in a big way of, of securing that starting spot.
2: There's not a better motivation on Monday through Friday than the kid behind you being able to take your job. If you don't pay attention that's just been that way for football for 50 years, if not longer.
4: No. Yeah. I mean, and it's a, it's a good problem to have. And I think there are, I want to say, is it four or five true freshmen on the two deep? I mean, the the early returns on this refresh on this true freshman class, even though it wasn't the highest rated, I would say are really good.
0: Well, and the returns from the transfer portal have been pretty good for a couple of years for this staff too. And so uh, maybe we'll find out at the end of the day that this, this staff really can evaluate pretty well. And COVID hampered them on the, on the freshman side. And, uh, but we'll see, Kurt. There's the we could go deeper, but we'll stop here and, and let you get going. Look forward to seeing you Saturday at the uh, at the stadium and catching up from time to time here in Front Row Knowles.
4: That sounds great. I appreciate having me on, guys.
0: You bet, Kurt Weiler from the Osceola. We'll take a break, come back and finish things
1: up right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios.
0: On front row and Tom and Keith Jones with you. Uh, good to have Kurt's insight. He he has a good feel for this program, given that he's covered it as the beat writer for the Democrat and now the senior writer with the Osceola for a number of years. At this, well,
2: program. and to, to Coach Norbell's credit, he has given you know the majority of what we call the beat writers, the regulars, uh, an opportunity to view almost all of practice. There's a little a little muzzle on what he has expected them to maybe not share that they see, but that's okay. Uh, obviously, they've not been at the scrimmages. That's that's a, a protected uh, environment that the coaching staff wants to do. But but Kurt, as you mentioned, been around for a while. Uh, is there every day? Has the opportunity to talk with players and and you know I fall back on things like uh, uh, Steve Ellis, you know the late Steve Ellis, who would develop some relationships with some of the players, and he wasn't necessarily going to call them or try to pin them down on things that weren't appropriate but he had enough of a relationship that he could ask some questions, maybe even some off of the record stuff just to get a little feel. And, and Kurt certainly established himself in that vein um, and being able to, to maybe ask some questions that perceptively he can put two and two together and come up with four.
0: (laughs) He'll join us from time to time uh, over the course of the season. And uh, you can follow his work on the Osceola. All right. We didn't get a chance to dive into special teams, Keith, I don't know what to make of the the punting and the place kicking, except that you're returning your starters. So in theory, they should be better and more consistent. Whether or not we continue to punt right-footed and left-footed, we'll see. But that's a nice club to have in the bag, right? Here's here's one of the things we haven't I, – I think in broad strokes, uh, people have opined that the return game will be better. But let's, let's think about that a, a little bit deeper, because it was really a struggle last year. And so – whether it's the kickoff and instead of getting tackled at the 22 you get tackled at the 28 or you break one to the 37 or the 42 I mean that's allowed and you actually start in good field position and on the on the punt returns if the ball doesn't hit the ground even if you just catch it and fall forward 3 yards you're still you're still 10 or 15 yards better field position than you were at many times a year ago so that's as a starting point without even really setting the bar too high. In my mind, I do feel like there's a real chance for Florida state to, to, to win a lot of awful, uh, a lot more hidden yards than what they weren't able to do a year ago. You know,
2: all you've got to do is, is listen to what the coach and staff talked about at the beginning of fall camp. That was a direct result of the meetings they had at the conclusion of the season. In that, one of the, if not the number one priority, was special teams and particularly the return game. What that resulted in is Florida State going a lot more, many more periods of live special teams drills during fall camp. Probably more than I've ever heard about a team doing. Period. You know, you you can do one thing on punts and kickoffs and punt return, uh, field goals and point afters. But when you're going live on pump returns and kickoffs for extended periods of time, there's two things there. Number one, you had to get better. And number two, you're sending a really, really strong message to the team that you're going to be better. Um, I think you may see some real, real strides in special teams, particularly in the return game. We'll have to wait and see. But I think that certainly the attention and the effort has been given.
0: Yeah, Micah Pittman on the punt returns in particular, and we, we saw that in spring. And then Mike Norvell on Monday singled out Sam McCall as a guy who's really coming along well, especially in the return game. I'm paraphrasing, but that was in essence what Norvell said. So we'll see that what that translates to. Uh, I do know this, John Papuchis, who's the special teams coordinator, uh, he's been at it a long time, and and the results were not there last year, And and this is a results business. Uh, but it's not as if he and Coach Norvell don't know how to coach special teams. And so I'm confident that uh, that, that it's going to be much improved this year. I would agree. And,
2: and I don't know what to make of this. I don't know how you couch this. But the bottom line is that, you know, most of the returners have been replaced. And that was a very happy day in my life because my sophomore year, I was the primary punt returner. And I was very pleased to turn that over to Gary Henry in my junior year. And for Florida State's fans that have been around forever, all Henry did was return a punt in the opening game of the of the 79 season to win it for us. So uh, I was happy to turn that duty over. Let's see what Florida State's returners can
0: do. Keith, with the asterisk that it's more return yards, uh, all of them, than I had in my college playing career, uh, remind our listeners how many punts and how many total yards in your illustrious punt return career.
2: 26 returns for 68 yards, a long of 12.
0: Long of 12? Did you have to get oxygen when you got to the sideline? Don't go there, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, enjoy the game. We'll talk to you again soon. He's Keith, I'm Tom. This is Front Row Knowles.